Crack that whip. Give the pass to slip. Step on a crack. Break your mama's back. When a problem comes along, you must whip it. Before the cream sits out too long, you must whip it. When something's going wrong, you must whip it. Now whip it. Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. I am your host, Christopher Sinclair, with my co-host, the ever-entertained. <laughs> and today we have a guest, Mr. Brian Lee. Hello, hello. Uh, I am the guest, and we are here. Man, you nailed that. <laughs> yeah, number one fan, right there. I messed it you up in dress rehearsal, sorry, but I got it <laughs> He knows exactly what to do, which is great. That was uh, great. That was, yeah. So, you know, we don't do guests often, but Brian's always giving us some pretty good notes, and he's always listening, and then giving us shit as well if we say <laughs> dumb things. So I thought it was important that we finally get him in here, and then that way any dumb thing he says, we can hold it against him forever. Please. So, you know, honestly, though, I, I listen to you guys, and there's a lot of times where I just scream at my radio in my car. Um, <laughs> I shake my head, I nod, I scream, and, and the people driving next to me on the pier are probably thinking I'm crazy, but that's fine. And I, yeah. I look at them, and I just kind of lip sync, of course, because they can't hear me. Hey, good bottle podcast, check it out. That's, that's gotten fired up. That's what that is. It's grassroots campaigning right there. Uh, yeah. hey, I'm just, you know, doing my part. Appreciate that, man. We definitely appreciate <laughs> it. Shop, shop local, right? That's right. <laughs> um, Chris, what are you drinking? Oh, man. I am uh, drinking a Valdegui wine from uh, Major Wines out of Paso Robles. It's uh, pretty damn tasty. And I got this one from old Chloe Henry. That old broad. <laughs> Are you allowed to say that anymore? <laughs> I, I mean, probably not. And it's but it's Chloe, so we've said worse things to each other pretty on a pretty frequent basis. So, okay, how is it? What makes it's it cool? Pretty damn, makes it unique. It's pretty damn tasty. Uh, well, I don't think I've ever cons- drank, consumed, uh, uh, tasted a Valdegui, uh before opening the bottle shop, and now. I've had a lot of them. Surprisingly, I didn't even know what a Valdegui was. Um, um, and, uh, to, to piggyback that, I don't think anybody knows what that is. So can you tell people what it is? It's, I mean, it's a great varietal. It's red red wine. Uh, pretty damn tasty. Grow, grows pretty well out here in California. And uh, was, was known s- sort of locally as the, the Napa Gamay. Uh, it is not Gamay uh, and doesn't necessarily even grow in Napa, you know, as the only place that it grows well. But it does grow well in Napa. Um, but there's, you know, it's light, it's fruity. Um, and I, I carry like three of them at the shop. So I probably won't carry this even though I, even though I like it a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it just For such an obscure varietal, it just seems like, a, you know. I, you can only have so many, you know, and I'm already addicted to Chenin Blanc. So, and I have like five of those. So uh, before Emily kills me from having the most obscure wine selection, I should probably curb my, curb my own, my own desires. 
Yeah, that's got to be one of the struggles is is going so esoteric with things that you know having to having to reel yourself in and be like, oh man, that is going to appeal to like seven people. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is tends to be my my palette anyway when it comes to booze, um, and that you are exactly the same way. Uh, yeah. Uh, which is, you know, it's a problem when you own a store that's uh, attempting to sell more than one bottle. But the solution to that, Chris, is you find those seven people, you sell them each a bottle, and now you have five bottles left for yourself out of the case. I or like your headset, Brian. Or if half of them, say 3.5 of these people, decide to buy two bottles, there goes the case, my friend, and you've just made a bunch of money. See? I don't think I'm allowed to sell to 0.5 people. Well... Round up because you're a good salesperson. Okay. It's a great that's bottle a, shop and people that's should fair. be buying from you. Well, I tell people this all the time, but it's nice to hear somebody else say it. <laughs> Brian, what are you, what are you drinking, homie? <laughs> <laughs> um, I expect uh, some money flying into my PayPal here for that plug. Shameless plug. Um, what am I drinking? Um, I am, you know, I'm sorry, Drew, but I've always been a bourbon guy. Um, but I've been venturing out lately. Um, I've been looking in more in the world of whiskey. Um, and when I say world of whiskey, worldly whiskeys. So you're um, drinking cinnamon whiskey. That's what you're telling me. No, us. I didn't say flavor. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man. Um, I, so tonight I decided to pull out a Japanese whiskey. This is from the Centauri House. Uh, the Centauri Whiskeys. I am drinking the Hakushu Single Malt, the 12-year. In uh, the green bottle comes with a fancy green box, uh, quite tasty actually, quite tasty. I, I uh, lightly like peated, yeah. yeah, lightly peated, um, but it just does it doesn't overbear. Um, I, I'm kind of enjoying the Japanese uh, fine tuning of the, the the rustic Scotch style, so it's just different different outlook on whiskey making, and I enjoy it. So. I'm going to say glass. something. I'm going to say something that's probably going to get me shot, but I really enjoy Hakushu with at least 25% volume water. Oh, uh, I that's find a lot it, of water. Yep, it's a lot of water. A good amount of water. I find it absolutely delightful. Hmm. I find it light as it is. Um, I don't know. That's hey, to each their own is what I say. There's no wrong way to drink anything. I, guess I there feel could be, like there could be a way to your, your words say that, but your tone says something else. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, let's just put it this way. If someone were to drink it a different way than how I enjoy it, I can respect that. How about that? How about that? Uh, Drew, what are, what, are you, what are you sipping on, Drew? Drew, what are you drinking? Um, something with a little bit more body than a Japanese whiskey. Um, I am getting into the Kilhoman, uh, Ambarak, and this is a, this is a brand new release from Kilhoman and it's a one-time release. And the reason being is because they actually messed it up and that's actually like Ambarak is Gaelic for the mess. And back in 2014, they were doing some battings and they accidentally took some port cask and blended them into their uh, sherry cask. And tip, what they were trying to do was their Machier Bay, which is a sherry bourbon cask um, vatting. And so when they realized the mistake, they were like, oh, shit. 
and we're like, well, we, you know, they're a small distillery, so they can't just throw things away. So they decided to sit on it for a couple more years and uh, finally came out with uh, with the actual bottling. So uh, again, like the the name Amberg is the mess, and so they wanted to stick with it because that was the first thing that the uh, distillery manager said. And it's and it's it's a total trip in terms of taste profile because you know you you expect the peat because it is an Isla whiskey. But then you get this, you get the sweetness from the pour. You can kind of get that sharpness from the sherry, and there's just this all these layers that keep coming from it, and um, it's just super, super bizarre but fun and interesting expression from them. And that's you know kind of what I love about Kilhoman, but it's just funny that you know you could take something that was a was a mistake and kind of make lemonade with it, or in this case, Ilovsky. So that that's what I'm sipping on and I'm really really enjoying it. It's just it's so weird though. It's like white I'm, zen. I'm looking forward to getting my hands on it. It's like white zen. <laughs> it's like the center home of Isla of Isla whiskeys. <laughs> there you go. Whoops. That's perfect. Let's sell it's, it. It's perfect. Did Daryl Cordy also tell them to sell it? <laughs> Is he going to claim? Is he going to claim that one as well? That's pretty good. That's how they market it. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, shit. All right, guys. Well, let's get started. I uh, I wanted to readdress um, something that uh, Drew and I had talked about I, either last week or the week before that I feel I was a little flippant about uh, and maybe a little curt. And uh, Drew, you had asked me uh, when when people. Um, uh, ask me what I feel about tearing down of statues, you know, and, and what, what my argument is as to why I'm, you know, sort of okay with that. Uh, I, I was, I sort of brushed off the question and I think mostly it's out of frustration because it's the argument that keeps, you know, that keeps coming up, right. Which is, uh, you know, you're tearing down history. It's part of history that you're getting rid of. Um, and, and, and while that's on the surface kind of true, um, I think for more, more often than not, the, the, the statues that, that we're referring to are, aren't really, you know, uh, uh, a lot of them, especially when we're talking about statues that are coming from Civil War, uh, generals and you know quote unquote heroes or at least soldiers. Uh, a lot of them were those were put up during during um, uh, Jim Crow era in the South, and so they they were really meant as a form of intimidation and lack of respect. But if we if we get rid of that, and you know my my response was read a fucking book, right? Um, <laughs> if we if we move the conversation away from that and we move it into let's let's take our realm right and uh let's say that uh people were tearing down statues of jack daniels you know um they you know went to tennessee and people were like well fuck this shit this guy's you know this this has got it going you know you'd ask why you know like well you know what did he ever do you know he's he makes whiskey he's a guy he was alive he deserves some respect and on the face of it, you could say, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's fine. That's cool. Um, but probably on the statue, the statue would just have, have a plaque that just said Jack Daniels, you know, father of Tennessee whiskey. 
And that's all anybody would know, you know, uh, uh, and you wouldn't even necessarily probably know what Tennessee whiskey was based on that statue, you know, so you don't really even learn anything other than maybe, maybe that, you know, this dude with a big mustache and a big hat, uh, uh, was, you know, had something to do with whiskey and you're like, all right, cool. And you just took it for granted. But what you miss out on, on that story is that, uh, a, he's not the father of Tennessee whiskey. You know, you have Nathan green, uh, who was a slave who taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey from the time he was eight years old, you know, and he's the one who, who was only slightly older than Jack Daniels at the time, who kind of deserves the statue a little bit more. And it wasn't until really recently when a New York Times article came out um, just, a, just a few years ago, really, that we even knew that story. So that's, that's why I, I tell people to read, you know, because it's not it, – you lose, you lose so much of humanity. And it's not even anything against Jack Daniels, right? Like Jack, Jack created an empire. Jack created uh, a, a whiskey that is so iconic to what it is and, and definitely deserves that respect. But the, the lack of representation involved in that statue and, and even more so the lack of education, it's not that we're getting rid of history. It's just that we're, we're there, there are, there's an image that's involved uh, with, with statues of, and what is celebrated versus what isn't. And I think, I, I think when, we get frustrated about people saying you're tearing down history is it it's a it's a bad faith argument you know there's no real education no one's really learning anything from a statue it's really about what you're what you're sort of idolizing and that's that's how i feel about that argument and i didn't i wanted to readdress it because i feel like that argument deserves more of a proper answer than just read a fucking book but still read a fucking book um, well, you know, when you said that you wanted to readdress it, um, I had completely forgotten what we had talked about. So, um, so <laughs> well, that's fair. That's, that's most of our conversations anyway, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I actually reach out to, um, to Brian to get notes on things. I'm like, what did we talk about on the show this past week? And, um, and he, and he tells me, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's interesting that you bring up, um, you know, Jack Daniels and, um, one of the things that we talked about in that episode was the uh, Forkful podcast where they discuss plantation and um, they actually just did a follow-up to that episode because as we had discussed last week, plantation is removing um, their name, but they're going to be in the process of it and, and everything. And one person they actually brought in who they didn't interview in the last episode, but she was somewhat featured because they were drinking her cocktails was um, Shannon Mustafer. And she uh, recently wrote uh, the book Tiki Modern Tropical Cocktails. And one of the things that, that she was talking about that, she was like, you know, I, I understand why Plantation is doing this and stuff like that. And, and, and her mindset towards it as a black bartender was, I never thought of Plantation that way, you know, because I was in the community, right? So being in the community and knowing that it came from Mason Ferran, like, I just knew it was French and I knew it was talking about this. So I never made that connection. And then she brought it back to, well, you know, if you start doing this and as Chris, you just mentioned about, you know, the uncle nearest whiskey and, and stuff like that. Like, does that mean that eventually the people are going to come for Jack Daniels? Are they, are they going to demand that that name changes, you know? And she was kind of speaking to, 
that um, that slippery slope, I guess, is what is what you could say. And not necessarily rewriting of history, but um, all these things that change and and the um, the her the main point being trying to be was like you know you need to understand intent. So you brought up another great point with like a lot of the Civil War generals were done for intimidation. They weren't actually done to celebrate somebody. They were done to try to scare people. And so and I think that's what you need to think of when it comes to all these different brands and some of these things that might be considered controversial moving forward. But if, if you guys haven't listened to either one of those episodes, like I said, it is a two-parter now and it's really, really interesting and very, very uh, relevant to, you know, kind of everything that we're going through right now. I, I, I have this, uh, I, I love the slippery slope argument as well, because it's, it's one of those that, that often gets thrown around pretty flippantly. Um, and, and the answer that I, I often give about the slippery slope, like, well, where does it stop? You know, like you, you unleash, you open up Pandora's box, you know, you unleash the water gates is that usually common sense, usually common sense wins out more often than not, you know, unless you're, you're end up with some sort of uh, herd mentality uh, or mob mentality that's taking over in a, in a, in a particular moment, but, but typically common sense wins out. Um, and I, I think that, um, when I think that the, the slippery slope is sort of a bad faith argument as well, uh, not to say that you're you're using it in bad faith, but I I, I think that it's one that that sort of is a non-starter, right? When we talk about last week, when when I tried to make changes in in bar programs that I was a part of, you know, and and people would say, well, where do you you know where do you stop? Uh, and I think that's a that's a bad faith argument because it's it's don't even don't even get started because you you can't you can't cure all the world's ills is sort of a it's sort of a silly argument. So I think I think getting started and at very least acknowledging that something was wrong and making at least some attempt to right some of those wrongs, I think is a is a good faith place to start. You know, it's like we we teach our kids. You know, like. Just, just say sorry and try to do better next time. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, uh, you're not gonna you're not gonna fix everything, but just don't fuck up again. Just say sorry and own it, and, and we all move on with our lives, and it's fine. <laughs> but the problem is, a lot of people are really not not cool with even saying sorry. It is a hard thing for a lot of people to do. Now, um, the only thing that I can add to that, and and we might want to end it on that, is that. Um, his name is actually Jack Daniel without an S. People say Jack Daniels because it's a progressive <laughs> apostrophe S because they're referring to Jack Daniels Tennessee whiskey. So uh, yeah, but we can fix that in uh, post production too. So, but it's, his think- name is Jack Jasper Jasper Daniel, uh, also known as Jack Daniel. So so if Brad's listening, he can you know he can settle down. Settle down, <laughs> settle down Brad. I- I'm here. To- I got your back, Brad. Brian, Brian is officially both our, our podcast stenographer and our podcast uh, historian. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. That's it. <laughs> all right. So that's Get all that. I got to say about that issue. <laughs> I dipped my toe in the water and let's move on. That's perfect. I, I contributed. I contributed. Mm-hmm. All right. Headlines.
Pause for effect. Um, all right. So, <laughs> so two stories today. And um, the first one is we're going to start off with the explosion of cognac and or brandy in uh, in the United States. Uh, it is the fifth year in a row that the United States will show growth in that category, led by primarily cognac. And some of the biggest contributors to that is Hennessy, uh, followed by Remy Martin. Hennessy is looking to clear... Um, the 4 million case mark in the U.S. for the first time ever, despite everything that's happening with COVID and um, everything associated with that. So, again, this is this is five years in a row that the cognac brandy um, market has continued to grow, and it's you're actually you're actually seeing worldwide growth, which is which is really interesting. And before we got on Chris, we were talking about it, and you were an early adopter of this trend. Why is that? Well, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I was an early adopter. I mean, I think most bartenders love brandy because it's fucking delicious. But I was. I saw this trend coming for sure. Now, what I I didn't expect in uh, was reading in this article that not only was it five years of growth, but it was five five years of record breaking growth of all time highs ever, year after year after year after year, um, and that w- that came as unexpected news to me. Um, I think it, it all you had to do was really pay attention to market trends and realize that there was a giant gap in the market that there was no brandy really anywhere, anywhere to be found. What, what you're looking at was like E and J or Hennessy, right? Like those are, those are your, your gaps and there's nothing in between. Um, I, I remember taking a few uh, consulting meetings with, with uh, distilleries. I'm going to say like eight years ago, seven years ago. And every single time they they talk to me, and they're like, "Okay, well, you know, how do we start?" And I said, "Look, you can start with vodka, start with gin. That's the easy way to make money. But honestly, I would make your flagship product brandy. No one's doing it. You're, and if you can hit the right price point, you're going to corner a market that that is desperately needed to be filled. And then we've seen it. We've seen seen that attempt come with with." Um, you know, Heaven Hill and their and their Sacred Bond uh, uh, brandy. You know, it's perfectly um, located in the price market for bartenders to use it. You know, it's got a lot of heat on it. It's bottled in Bond, which you almost never see in brandies. Um, but I think I I'm really not surprised by the growth part of this. Um, Brian, what do you think? I know you, you've been watching these, these markets and especially as part of a distributor, you, you have a, a large distributor, you, you have a, a key input on this. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of, um, interest in brandy. Um, also, like you said, from, from the distiller side of it too, there's a lot more coming out. Like you're mentioning, um, I mean, it used to be Christian brothers with heaven Hill and then sacred bond came out fantastic product. Um, but I've seen, um, a lot more new brandies coming out. Um, Ben, I mean, Ben wing is one of them that comes to mind. Um, local, uh, brandy, um, just a lot of, like you said, just a startup, um, distilleries 
brandy is an easy way to go. Fruit is accessible year round. Um, there's no regulations on what fruit. Um, so grapes are easy to, it's fairly easy to come by. Um, apples, pears, um, people are doing, you know, Williams pears, stuff like that. Um, and it's just, it's fun. And I think, um, going to the on-premise side, uh, like you're saying, a lot of as bartenders find it kind of a cool thing to do, but then you realize that a lot of classic cocktails back in the day were made with brandy before they were made with any other spirits. So, um, I think going back to the roots there too, and re-exploring brandy and, and what it brings to the table, um, I think is, is it, it does not surprise me, but, um, then again, looking at the numbers too, like Drew said, I mean, Hennessy leading the charge, uh, go Henny. Um, and then, you know, Remy Martin, <laughs> Remy Martin, right behind. It's funny though. I was, you know, I was at a, uh, at a store the other day and just looking through their cases and stuff and Hennessy wasn't on the shelf, but rather there was a tag that said, go to the cashier and ask for Hennessy if you want a bottle. But right next to it was this expensive, um, you know, Remy Martin Tercet, the new one that they came out and then, you know, all the rest of them are there, but there was no Henny there and you had to go. I'm like, oh, all right. I guess it is highly sought after. Okay. So. That means that's not after for that five figure discount. I guess. Yeah. I, I, well, I guess, but uh, no, that's one hundred percent what it is, Brian. You need to. I, it's it's a know, but, it's a highly stolen product. <laughs> but, 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 but interesting enough, that, yeah, I didn't want to go there. But interesting enough too, um, Bacardi's Doucet Cognac, which is a fairly new product. It's only been around for less than uh, what less than five, maybe five years now. Seven years at the most, I think, something like that. Um, and that's up there, too. So um, people are drinking their yak and they're enjoying it. And, you know, good for them. That's impressive. That's cognac for those of you who don't who don't speak bar language. <laughs> yeah, yes. let me let me ask you this, Brian, because, um, you know, I, I I know we're talking about like production and kind of getting into the business from your perspective, because you work with one of the bigger distributors in California do you find yourself like having more people ask for it? And do you ever, do you, are you ever taken back by certain accounts being like, huh, I didn't think that they would be into brandy or cognac. Do you ever have, have those thoughts or come across those types of customers right now? Every once in a while, like I said, I think people are, are exploring it um, a little bit more. Um, you're seeing it on cocktail menus more, more and more. Um, it's, I think, I think it's it's being well received. I think, like I said, with the classic cocktails, um, people are looking to substitute it for other cocktails um, just because of the flavor profile that brings. It is an aged spirit as well, so they they find a way to introduce it into cocktails on the cocktail list. So um, it is it is getting popularity with 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 people asking for it. Yeah. Well, you know, and especially here in California, I mean, when grapes. I mean, in Sacramento, we're in wine country. You know, I mean, that's we're we're in the produce haven of the country. You know, agriculture. Um, yeah, this. I will say, uh, a friend of mine. I'm trying to think of the right way to like lead into this story. Um, <laughs> so okay, so so the owners of a local restaurant south. Yeah, they bought their they bought a property downtown in Sacramento um, uh, in order to turn it into the original restaurant. It was so beat up and it was going to require so much work that, that ultimately they decided not, not to move forward with that property. And they bought, they, they, they leased another property in order to put the restaurant into, but 
they bought this property actually from um, my wife's non-biological aunt and uncle. Um, it used to it used to uh, um, house the Sacramento Tofu Company. Um, now, when they tore up the floorboards on the first floor of of the uh, of the building, they found a a subseller that had that had um, uh, carboys in it. Old, just like totally dusty, super filled with dirt carboys that were down there and talking to Ian, he was like, Oh yeah, this was 100% a, uh, you know, a, a speakeasy, not a speakeasy, but like a bootlegger. Like they, they were distilling in this, in this property and talking to my, my, uh, my non-biological aunt and uncle-in-law, they're like, no, no, we would, we would never do that. That's definitely not a thing. Um, but then interviewing other people from around that neighborhood who who've lived there for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, they're like, Oh yeah, no, they, they used to make the best brandy around. Like you, that, that you would just go there and you'd, you'd get a flask of brandy and that's, that's what they did. So so I don't know, I don't know if it was, if it was before their time, before the tofu company, or if it was like, while they were getting started and still like building the company and everything. And they were using that to like fill, fill the, 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 the economic gaps. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, man, Brandy in Sacramento, uh, obviously that makes sense. Well, Sacramento was a pretty, um, uh, what would they refer to it as like wet city during prohibition? Uh, lots and lots of booze was flying through this place. So, um, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise oh, yeah. me too much. I mean, the, the bars and clubs never really shut down. The only, uh, the only records of clubs and bars getting shut down were, uh, from, uh, people of color were a couple of Chinese clubs and a few, uh, a few black jazz clubs that got shut down. And it was mostly because they got too popular and other people got jealous. Jesus. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I I, th- I think uh, you know seeing the seeing the cognac and brandy thing is continuing to explode. And um, like I said, I mean, you see five years growth consistently. That's pretty impressive. Um, I know that I've talked about this on on the show a few times, and how it's the next spirit that I really want to take the deep dive on because there's just so many different avenues that you can go. And then even within my own portfolio, there's a lot of weird stuff um, that you can get into, whether it's like Armenian brandy or um, stuff from Serbia, all kinds of different spots. So I, I'm really excited to see it. And I hope to, I hope more people uh, embrace it as well, because it can, it can be affordable and it can be super, super delicious. And, um, you know, if you're not drinking brandy or cognac, you know, get your life together and don't steal it. Buy yeah, it. Don't, steal, don't, don't steal it. You know, <laughs> yeah, don't steal it. <laughs> don't steal it. Uh, all right. So moving on to our second story, uh, the Mexico's secret of the economy just find the CRM, which is the uh, regulators of Mezcal in Mexico for deceptive and abusive practices over the past three years. He find them a million pesos or in uh, US dollars, that'd be $45,000. This ends up being a huge blow to the um, 
narrative that CRM has told over the past few years about how they, they are the authority on every single thing Mezcal related. And so now, you know, the hope is from, you know, agave enthusiasts like us that you'll have more things coming to the table that you know, there's not going to be as much intimidation from the CRM and just some of the practices, like, like they had said, the find that came out um, really comes from, the, the fact that if it doesn't have a hologram on the CRM, it isn't Mezcal. This was a flyer that they had been sharing. And the thing is, is like the CRM doesn't actually control this. The government does. They just help regulate it. So um, basically what the Secretariat of the Economy was just like, you know, they completely overstepped their bounds and they've done all kinds of deceptive things and, and funneled people to labs that they have partnerships with in order to get testing when different producers didn't have to use those specific labs, but they told them that they did. So, you know, some classic government corruption uh, was taking place. And uh, fortunately they, you know, got their hand slapped. Now it's been a week since this news has come out and I still haven't seen a response from the CRM. Although they were, some of their brand ambassadors were kind of, quiet for a few days and then now they're running their mouths again so i don't know if it's really gonna make a huge <laughs> difference but i mean well i mean because you know again this is a world that i'm very you know plugged into and um when you see people who are taking shots at brands that are like agava disolados or you know things that decide not to get certified mezcal and they you know they they try to paint this picture of them as as low quality and dangerous and stuff like that like that's you know it's I mean, of course, there's instances of people drinking, you know, moonshine-like products that ends up getting them sick. But if these things are still coming to America, it's just it, – it's a real bummer. And, you know, this is a, this is a, an organization that has all kinds of issues. And it's just – it's very satisfying, I think, for a lot of people to see them kind of get gut-checked a little bit, you know, and to actually face some sort of consequences for the things that they say to people. Um, so I'm really excited about the news and I hope, I hope there's more fines coming, but, um, you know, we'll see. But what do you guys think of, of that story? Let's start with Brian. Brian, what do you think? <laughs> um, no, I, I agree with you, Joe. I think that it's, uh, it's important to try and keep people as honest as possible. I mean, you're this their deception and stuff. And, but I think it goes, I mean, it goes to show that, you know, the Mexican government's basically telling them, Hey, know your role. And, uh, here's your little hand slap. And, uh, you know, it's kind of this, this power struggle too. So, um, but yeah, it's interesting. And hopefully it keeps everybody in line, um, down there with, especially with the Mezcal coming up because when we rely on these regulatory bodies to kind of, uh, tell us what's, you know, what's, what's right and what's wrong. What's, you know, that's, that's the, that's what they're supposed to do is regulate it all. And if they're not doing their job, then, you know, there goes all uh, integrity. Right. So we want that. Yeah. uh, Agave, agave being one of the most highly regulated uh, spirits in the world next to cognac. um, I, I found this incredibly fascinating because what I learned through, through digging deeper on this story was that there apparent CRM isn't the only body that can, regulate mezcal production that's correct yeah which of course made me ask the question are there other bodies that can regulate tequila production too or is the crt not the only one uh which i couldn't find an answer for yet 
do, you, do either of you happen to know that answer? I do not. True. To, to my knowledge, it's just the CRT. Like now, I knew about Mezcal. Like in Michoacan, there's a couple different people that you can certify through as well. Um, Oaxaca is primarily Oaxaca and the other states. It's it's primarily the CRM, but there are other organizations that exist, and it's become and it's really manifested itself in Michoacan. Um, and that's where most of that infighting is happening. And that's actually where some of these fines are stemming from as well, is that the CRM was going into MutualCon saying that you can't trust that other organization. You have to use our labs for testing to get actual CRM approval, to actually get Mezcal approval, which um, was untrue. And that's why they ended up getting uh, in trouble was because of this. So that it, it's... I, I was aware of it for Mezcal. I, I I haven't heard of anything like that in tequila, but I also haven't taken that same deep plunge that I have, you know, with, with Mezcal. Sure. I, I, I was, I mean, that, that's the first thing that, that really stood out to me. Um, and I, I think for obvious reasons, because I had, I had no idea. Um, uh, I had definitely, you know, I guess drunk the Kool-Aid on that, you know, which, you know, if, if you're going to have, if you're going to get certified, you have to go through the CRM. They're the regular, you know, regulatory and be like uh, for us going through the TTB in order to get a, you know, to get a, a label on your booze and be allowed to sell it. Um, but now all of a sudden you find out that actually you can, you know, in, in city of Sacramento, I can go down to the UPS store and I can actually just get it certified down there. Like that's, it's just mind blowing to me. Well, that's, that's, that's part of the, that's part of the problem, you know, oh, of, course that, it is. of course it is that the, the, the way that the CRM carries itself and the things that they say about other brands and the things that they do. And I've, you know, I've watched it unfold for years now and um, you know, it just, what it, what the CRM has really done is it's disenfranchised so many people, you know, from producing something that their family has produced for years and years and years and taking names away from them that they used to, you know, hold sacred. And most recently uh, it happened with Ricea production. And that one just like blew my mind because you had all these people coming in who were brand new to Ricea production and started making all these different, arbitrary rules and then turned around and started bashing anybody who was producing in Jalisco um, that wasn't tequila, but they were producing other agave saying like, no, those are lower quality things. It's just like, you've been doing this for like a year. Like, how dare you? You know, how, like, I don't understand where this, this bravado comes from. Um, And I had uh, one producer who I, I won't say who it is but we had reached out to them and got their feelings on it and at one point they delivered this really great line about how you have all these clowns trying to act like superheroes and i was like that's my oh, favorite thing so. that's how they view the crm you know um now they don't certify with the crm so you know <laughs> it's, they're not really worried about it but i mean i think in theory that the crm makes sense right you're trying to protect the product's do right but you you get it becomes completely inappropriate when that conversation turns from protecting the do and ensuring quote unquote quality and then to where you start just completely bashing people 
for not doing what you think is the right thing to do. And a lot of it, you know, has to come down to is like they, you know, people can't afford to do it. You know, to get these certifications is not cheap, you know. And I think this is a big blow to a lot of the bigger companies who have recently started to get into the Mezcal world is because they want more regulation, right? You want less competition. So you want those trademarks protected and stuff like that. But, or, you know, you want this council to to reign supreme. So I'm just personally very, very excited about this development. And I really, I really hope at the end of the day that the, their rhetoric at least calms down a little bit. Now, like I said, some of them already starting to pop off again, and you know we'll see what happens. But um, I don't know. It was just a really big win for for the mezcal world and agave producers in general. And it's funny because I don't feel like it got enough traction of what it should have, you know, over the past week. Like this is a huge deal that not that many people talked about and granted you know there's a lot going on right now there's there's some other more important things to focus on (laughs) but still (laughs) you know it's it's just it's something that i i just hope people look more into this and they start to question the crm more i mean and once you get into mezcal i mean it's in in agave spirits in general like you know you start to see how ridiculous some of these denominations can be and some of the things like like oh if you're in this municipality but you're not in this one then you can't call it that it's like they're right freaking next to each other you know so uh and then if you even consider the history of of mezcal production i mean i think they say it's like 26 different states they can prove history of it but we only have nine approved so it's just it's silly, and I'm glad that these guys are taking a million-dollar peso hit. Let's just say that. I, I think um, the the second thing that really stood out to me on this was was not that they had to pay the fine, which is a lot of money, but also not a lot of money, right? Like it, it was definitely a hand slap. But I what I found the most interesting was they say was that the 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 Mexican government said, but don't do it again. If you do it again, you're done. We will remove your ability to to regulate anything. Yeah. And I thought that was the most fascinating part. Um, which means two things. It means A, that the Mexican government has enough faith in in the other groups that they have um, that they've authorized for regulation. And that these guys have have overstepped that much that they're like, all right, you done fucked up, son. It's time, it's time to calm the fuck down and just sit down and like just do your damn job. You're not you're not as cool as you think you are. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, like if you see some of these things that these guys put out, like it's pretty intense and it's very very damaging, you know, to a lot of people. Like I said, I mean, it's disenfranchising lots of lots of consumer or you know customers uh consumers producers everything and above and and that was the thing here is you know i I think for a lot of serious mezcal fans like you're excited about this because it puts the crm in check but from the mexican government's perspective it's like they felt that the crm was not acting in the best interest of consumers 
and was causing confusion for consumers. And I think that is really telling of how they feel about the organization where it's like you are doing you're doing harm by intentionally and repeatedly and unjustifiably refusing to recognize other certifying bodies and verifiers, creating confusion among consumers and impending producers access to domestic and international markets. Like, holy crap. Like, that's just, you know, that's some very strong language. And that's just saying, like, you know, you're, you're actively hurting Mexico by acting the way that you do. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. That's so, right. they got told. <laughs> Word, you know, <laughs> and, and you know, and as you can tell, this has really struck a nerve with me. And I'm just, I'm happy to see it. And I hope, I hope the conversation continues. Well, it's good and, news uh, for consumers, like you were saying. Right, it is. It totally is. It's great news. You know, right. it, it, I mean, it's just going to like. You know, because so so often, you know, when you when we were talking about people starting businesses, and it doesn't matter if you're in Mexico or you know here in America, wherever, you know, when you get into the spirits business, like you're, there's so many unknowns that you're getting into, and when you reach out to people for help, like how do I do this? How do I do that? When you have an organization that's supposed to be there to help you, and they're actively feeding you lies and misinformation, you know. Like, what are we doing here, folks? Like, this is not how we move the ball forward for for agave spirits as a whole. You know, you're you're holding people back, and so you know, I'm just I'm just really really happy that these guys got you know <laughs> got hit with it. So, um, but you know, we'll 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 see what ends up happening. Um, but let's let's move on. And, uh, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to bring Brian on today, not, not just because he's our number one fan and he also has like really good, you know, input on a lot of different things, but, um, you know, Brian, you do work for one of the bigger distributors. I don't know if you want to share who it is or not. No, no pressure on that, but you know, you guys have been kind of going through the ringer over the past few months as well. Um, and that's something that not a whole lot of people are talking about, which I find really interesting because, obviously people need to get booze somehow and that's going to be through a distributor and you're one of the means to do that. So if you could, can you, you know, just talk about a little bit about your history and then how long you've been on the distributor side and, and then, then we can start getting into just kind of how the last few months have been for you, for your perspective. Sure. Sure. Uh, thanks for having me on though, guys. Um, so I started in the restaurant industry when I was, gosh, 15 went to my, my, my father actually um, bought, he was a franchisee of a Burger King, oddly enough in the Bay area. And uh, I went to my you know high school counselor, got a work permit and started working that summer um, at my dad's Burger King. Um, kind of went through the fast food gamut, uh, started waiting tables, um, bartending. I worked in the kitchen for a bit um, through college, uh, paid my way through college, uh, great industry, fell in love with it. Um, and then I was a kind of at a fork in a road where I was debating whether to go to culinary school and pursue the back of the house or go kind of college degree. And, uh, a manager I worked for many, many years ago in San Jose, where I grew up, uh, told me uh, culinary school is great, but you can learn a lot by working in the kitchen if you want to go that route. Um, not that it's bad. 
college degree is a college degree and you can put that on your resume and that'll be, even if you're not in this industry, that'll still help you. So I decided to enroll back into university and I wound up getting my degree in hospitality management from San Jose State uh, and then moved out to Sacramento because it's a lot cheaper out here than it is in uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, worked Ain't in a bunch of... Right? Sorry. Ain't that the truth? <laughs> no, it is. It is. Um, so moved out here, um, worked in a couple of different restaurants out, in, uh, out here in Sacramento. I was working for... Um, Wonderful people, uh, Ron and Terry, who own Luca downtown. Uh, I started working for them. They opened up a, another restaurant called Roxy um, in Sacramento. I opened that restaurant with them. Um, oh, I and, didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, I was uh, opening GM there. Uh, and then from there, Luca needed a manager. So I flipped back over and was GM at manager uh, at Luca for a while. And then my sales rep, uh, who I was ordering liquor from, uh, told me that she had transferred to a different territory, blah, blah, blah. And so that spot opened up. So I interviewed for um, to work on the distribution side as a salesperson with Young's Market Company in uh, out here in California, who is now merged with RNDC. Uh, so I interviewed and got that job miraculously. And that was almost 12 years ago. It'll be 12 years in December. So going from... Uh, being a buyer to uh, the sales side is definitely, um, there's a lot to learn. Um, product knowledge, I mean, considering what I, what I know now and the vast knowledge uh, that, that is to be obtained in the wine and spirits world, um, I still think there's, there's, I mean, it's an endless journey. But um, just starting, it was going from, I mean, at least you can empathize being a, a salesperson and coming from the buyer side. Um, you speak the language, obviously, with you know what's important with restaurant buyers and all that stuff. Um, but there's a lot to learn. Um, but uh, yeah, now that I'm on this side for 12 years, um, I, I I do enjoy it. I get to try a lot more uh, wine and spirits and and continue my education, which is great too. Very cool. Yeah, I um, you know we met. Oh gosh, well, maybe three or four years ago at this point, and you know, when I was you were on the with supplier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When and then when I was on the supplier side, and um, you know, what one thing I've always appreciated about uh, Young's Market is it because I've worked with I've worked with both big houses in in California, and what I really liked about you guys was it just it just felt like you were working with with people who really wanted to know more and wanted to learn more and were enthusiasts for it, you know? And I, I think that that definitely radiates from you um, and the stuff that we talk about when we run into each other. And yeah. then of course, with your, with your whiskey tastings that you're doing with father patties, which is super fun. So we'll make sure to, you know, plug that, um, follow father patties on Facebook and you can watch uh, Brian and, watch them just kind of figure out whiskeys and then talk about cocktails and all kinds of fun stuff. It's actually been a really fun, fun show to watch evolve over the, over the whole virus and all that fun stuff. Yeah. But um, so, so with that being said, um, what was the situation like for you as a Young's Market rep over the past few months? Like what's, what's that timeline look like and what are some of the things that you've, you've encountered? 
Right. Well, um, to go back to what you were talking about earlier too, that, uh, you know, I got to say my company has stepped up too in terms of helping me get educated. They've paid for uh, my WSCT certification. They've paid for my uh, CSS certification. Um, and I think that education is, is, is important too. And for just for myself, this natural curiosity. So, um, but uh, yeah, my company is, is about that too, which is great um, for me anyways. I mean, that saves me a couple hundred, more than a couple hundred bucks. Um, but anyhow, um, yeah, so COVID, COVID, wow, 2020 sure has been strange, hasn't it, guys? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I will say this, though. So my numbers um, in my territory, uh, January was up. February was up. Halfway through March was up. I was close to about 12 to 15% up um, year to date. Um, just in the two and a half months. So I was sitting pretty good to have a, a, a fantastic year. Um, and then COVID hit. Of course, it happened right before St. Patrick's Day. So there was a lot of people ordering for St. Patrick's Day. Um, and by, by it hit St. Patrick's Day. I mean, by that, I mean, um, there's a lot of shutdowns going on in California. For you international listeners um, or out-of-state listeners. Um, so in California, it really shut down right around uh, St. Patrick's Day in terms of closing down bars and restaurants. Um, so the issue became there are a lot of there are a lot of on-premise accounts that had purchased large for, to in anticipation of the holiday, um, which then now all of a sudden we have no revenue for the next thirty days and bills become due and it was uh it became really challenging for a lot of people um for me i mean obviously i don't i don't i'm a sales rep not i don't own a business unlike you chris um so but i can speak on 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 my side um for me i've always said to to my customers that their thriving business is my thriving business where their long-term success turns into my long, my, my success. And I, I, I try not to um, oversell people. I try not to, you know, jam things, you know, down their throats that they don't want. Um, I, I don't like to waste their time because I respect them and I respect them as buyers and I respect their business and their business model and their concept. Um, but what's interesting is once, once it all shut down, there was really nothing that I could do um, because nobody was ordering. It, it, it wasn't um, – places were closed. Um, bills were due. And to, to try and empathize with people and just to be there to help people, um, I personally wound up – literally every meal for myself and my family was bought at a restaurant. Um, mm. I, I went around I – mean, I remember the first weekend, I think it was Wednesday, Thursday, Friday – um, my work week, uh, those the last rest of the work week consisted of going to different cities in my territory and buying five or six meals and bringing it home for dinner. Um, I'd hit five or six different restaurants and just buy an entree and tip well and bring it home and just just try and help people navigate through what was going on. Um, and then I got a notice uh, from my company that they were proceeding in furloughing employees, um, on-premise employees, which is what uh, where I am in, in on, on the on-premise. So my company uh, furloughed 
over 40 people statewide. Uh, I'm sorry. No, it was uh, everybody on premise. I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. So uh, it was everybody. And it was it was for two months. Again, it was it was unknown uh, how long this was going to last. What was going to happen? So we were off furloughed uh, beginning of May. Um, and I do know the other large distributor, Southern Glaciers, uh, were furloughing their employees as well. So it was it was kind of across the board and and kind of a not not to a surprise, but because uh, I get it. They're, I mean, it's still a business, and they've got to they've got to look at sales. Um, so at that point in May, I had gone from middle of March up 15% to basically I was at about 70% of sales year to day. It was, it was, it was, a it was everything that I was plus was gone and then some. So the, the hole just was deeper. Every day that went by the, the hole just got deeper and deeper. Um, so I got furloughed beginning of May for, uh, for what they were saying two months until July. Um, they started bringing back people in order of seniority. Um, I was lucky enough to get called back to work. Um, having almost 11, uh, 12 years with the company, I got the call to come back. So half of half of uh, the, my team uh, that I'm on, we covered Sacramento and greater area. Um, there, there were only three out of the six of us that were back working. So I basically had to cover two territories worth. But again, most people weren't ordering or they were ordering light. So... Um, it was still a lot of running around and, and busyness. Um, just to give you guys an idea too, and, and for listeners, my territory alone, I cover uh, parts of Solano County, so all the way down to Vacaville, Dixon, um, into Yolo County, so uh, Woodland, Davis, the city of Davis, as well as parts of West Sacramento. And then now I was calling on, uh, now that I was called back from furlough, I was calling in into Sacramento and parts of USAC um, all over. So not that I, I wasn't busy because of sales, but I was busy kind of running around and letting people know that we're available um, if they need anything, any help. Um, To-go cocktails became a thing, um, trying to help people navigate what what can they do, what's legal, what's not, um, coming with ideas, coming up with um, – cocktails and answering questions and just brainstorming you know we were all we were all trying to figure it out both um restaurants and uh that were open to do to go cocktails as well as myself you know what containers do we put this in how do we seal it how do we make it legal um what to charge um you can sell bottles out the wind out the door but uh, you're you're battling against retail so what do i charge and not do i can i still make money off of it what do i do um i really don't want to order because cash flow is an issue so there, there was a lot of things um, that worried uh, business owners, uh, and rightfully so. Um, so for myself, again, long you know, long term thriving businesses helped me out. So just being there to help answer questions, help brainstorm, come up with ideas. Hey, another place down the way or in another city was is doing this. Have you thought about that? Um, people were buying you know baggy pouches like little Capri Sun pouches to do. People were doing mason jars. People were doing. Um, soup containers. And so just to share ideas, it, being a, a, a messenger to kind of share ideas and help people out with the to-go cocktails and such. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting. I, I've, um, like I said, I've been back since uh, towards the end of June, middle end of June. Um, and it's still with, with things opening and then reclosing again with the bars, restaurants going from 
open with social distancing to um, inside seating is now not available. So it's outside dining or takeout. Um, again, just trying to re-navigate and, and helping people figure out what, the, you know, ordering because pars are out the window because who knows, you know, everything's been changing day by day. It's not even week by week anymore. So um, really it's just trying to empathize with people, uh, try to help, help everyone um, survive. Um, it's, it's, it's been pretty crazy. I mean, Chris, you know, firsthand yourself, I'm mean, having a bottle shop and, and I know Drew, you, you know, you're out there, you see it too. Um, but I think for me, building, building relationships now, um, I don't, I don't worry about my well being. I don't, I mean, I, yes, I worry about my company and I, and I am a representative of my company. Um, and I want my company to do well, but I, I, again, I'm, I always look long-term. I look at people's success because if success is all around, um, that's what we want. We want everyone to win. So, um, just building relationships now, getting people, you know, getting people answers, helping people where I can. Um, but, uh, it's, it's been crazy. It's been, it's been tricky. Being furloughed was kind of interesting too. Kind of a glimpse in retirement, I guess. <laughs> this time has, sh- has shown a highlight on, uh, our industry is that it, it really is a high tides, uh, raises all ships type of situation. And it, I don't think anybody that I've witnessed in this industry is really out for just themselves. Everybody has, has really developed a communal sense of, of being during, during this time. Um, you know, with, with some exceptions, I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody's like, I think there are a few people who might want to hold some of their secrets close to their chest to how they, you know, develop their creative programs or, you know, what have you. But I think more often than not, everybody realizes that we're, we're in this, together right you know every everything that comes comes down from the capital everything that comes out of the government like it affects all of us you know and 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 not just our individual businesses but a lot of a lot of our co-workers and our employees you know work at multiple places and thereby at very least like the you know the covid strain it it will it affects all of us because we don't know where everybody is all the time right so we are we're essentially the 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 sample the sample population that that's getting tested out um, for reopening on a lot of this. And I know Drew's talked a lot about it, and um, but at least on social media, you know, you're trying, you know, suggesting that it's not just the bars, you know, that are that are the problem, but we're the ones that are getting thrown under the bus. Yeah, it it, it super bothers me right now that that's the situation that they needed a scapegoat and our industry is what they ended up picking. And I think there's, you know, there's all kinds of different motivations that I guess that you could put behind that, but it just sucks because this is also an industry that suffers from a lot of like mental illness and things like that. And I think it's to, to put so many people in these compromised positions unfairly really at this point. I mean, I'm, I'm at, I'm just pissed about everything that's happening. The, the things that have been able to remain open while our industry continues to get shut down and doesn't get any help. It's just completely ridiculous. Um, But that does remind me that uh, I wanted to ask you, Brian is, you know, these are, 
you know, there are so many unknowns, there is a constant movement of the goalpost. So for you as an individual, you know, what was it like mentally? Is there anything that you can share that like helped you get through the last couple of months and things that you try to focus on moving forward so that you, you know, cause this is an industry that you said that you've been in since you were, you know, 14, 15 years old, I'm sure you want to stay in it. Like what are the things that you're doing to take care of yourself and to make sure that you keep moving forward? Yeah, it's uh, with, with so much uncertainty, you know, it, none of us really gotten in this industry thinking that anything would ever happen or any industry really. Um, I mean, I remember when I decided to choose to be in restaurant industry and now, you know, the, the liquor and wine industry, you know, years ago when I decided to take on college, my mom said, you know, that's, that's a good industry because everyone's got to eat. Um, I'm like, oh, that's, that's true. Uh, and we look at it most people like to drink. So, and we've always thought it was a, a bulletproof industry, you know, and when times are bad, people drink, when times are good, people drink. Um, but we're in a time where we can't socialize. We can't, you know, be near each other physically. Um, there's, there's regulations and stuff. So to, to think any of that, I'd never, ever in my lifetime thought any of this would happen. Um, me personally, I mean, I mean, I'm in the process of, uh, I've already, I've already invested a lot of money into, I'm, I'm buying a new house here. I'm moving here soon. Um, I like you, both of you guys, I've got a, I've got a young kid. Um, so yeah, you start thinking about your future like, okay, what, what's going to happen? Um, I, I can't change. I mean, I guess I could change career paths, but I mean, at this point, um, so, I mean, for me, it was really just trying to stay positive, um, using the time wisely, um, like I said, education is, is, is kind of just natural curiosity. So, uh, using that opportunity to, to explore out and, and read a bit more, um, watch some more we YouTube videos. Yeah. Pick up a book. Um, those things that you said, yeah, one of these days I'll get to, you, you get to it. Um, but for me to, to, I mean, I know you guys have always, you know, we're always about mental health and especially in our industry. Um, just focusing on what matters the most, you know, I, 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 gosh, I look at my, I look at my son, he's going to be two here pretty soon. And I just, I see, I just see his future and that just motivates me even more. I look at my family and, and how hard I, I work uh, to support them. And that just means the world to me. So that, that, you know, I go out and, and just try and make the world a better place for, for my kid too, you know? And that's, that's what really motivates me. That's what keeps me focused. Um, it's, it's tough. It really is tough. Um, some, some days, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a crazy word out there. It, it really is. <laughs> Man, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, B, I, um, <clears throat> there was a moment when you were saying that, you, you're like, well, I, I could, I could change careers, but, and then you, you went silent and that, that silence, um, is a conversation that I have in my head at, at least once a week for the last 10 years that, that I could do something else, but, but do you love this I, well, too much? I do. It's like, I, I mean, I have an addiction towards this industry because it's just, it's so much a part of who I am. And, and I say that, I say, I use the word addiction completely appropriately because it's, it's, 
it's a love, it's a, it's a hate, it's a, uh, it's, it's fucked up my life in a lot of ways, but it's also made it better in a lot of ways. <laughs> like there's, there, there's so many things. It's like, it's, you know, I opened up the wine shop as a, or sorry, my bottle shop as a, as a, as a way to find some normalcy for my family, for like sure. having a child, you know? Um, and it, I, and I know Drew could say the same thing, which is like our kids just, they really push us just to be better and to do better. But um, to find that sort of that sense of normalcy of, of not coming home at four o'clock in the morning or five o'clock in the morning, you know, I, and and have a stable paycheck and have health insurance and all those things go through our heads when you're saying I could find, I could find another, another job, but, you know, like that we, we, that those of us who thrive and survive in this industry are drawn to it for so many different reasons. And it's, it's not for lack of skill and it's not for lack of education. And I think, I think that that's often a part of the conversation that gets left out when, when people are discussing this industry who, you know, have minor uh, attachment to it or, um, none whatsoever, you know? I think what's hard for me is, is somebody once told me a long time ago that what, what I do for a living is I'm, I'm selling people a good time. You're giving people a good time. And that was when I was in the restaurant industry now. So even you at your bottle shop, you know, when someone walks out with a bottle or a wine or a case or, you know, five, six cases, right. That happens. Um, if not, it should happen. Um, you're, you're selling a good time. That's what it is. And because of COVID people can't celebrate like they used to. People can't get together like we used to. People can't even be with their close family members. I mean, I, I can't be with, you know, you know, my parents or my grandparents or whatever that are, that are older. My, my sister who's um, in the medical industry and she's, you know, exposed to COVID um, or she's near it. So, I, you know, I have to protect my family. And so we sacrifice these things the, the, during this time. And, and when we're in the business of selling a good time and people aren't not necessarily not having good times, but not in the way that it normally is or was, um, and you start to think to yourself, okay, well, what is the new norm? Um, and, and that's still to be told. Who knows what's going to happen and if this is going to last months to the end of the year next year. And hopefully it doesn't. And, and I can't dwell on that. I can't, I, I can't stress about things I can't control. So until then, um, I just go out there with a positive attitude, help businesses thrive in this environment as best that they can, or at least keep afloat, um, keep their head above water. Um, and like you said, we'll all get through this together. Hopefully, you know, yeah, amen. each other out. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, that's really great to hear. And, you know, and I, I, I know things are going to continue to change um, as, as we move forward. And, you know, it's, it sucks, but it's, yeah, you just got to be fluid. You got to be flexible. And I think we're all figuring out ways to do it. And, you know, I think uh, one of the cool, again, to kind of mention the whiskey, the whiskey weekly show that you're doing with, with Pat over at, father patties is really cool and it's been a, a fun way to differentiate yourself from everybody else 
right? Yeah, that's another thing. I mean, I I, I have a lot of fun with that. I, I actually like like you said, Drew, and in, in other episodes, I say everyone kind of came out with their little happy hour Zoom thing and educational thing, and I, and I thought about doing one too. Um, and then Pat approached me and says, "Hey, I'm thinking about doing something with the pub. Uh, do, I, did you want to?" I don't know if it was be a guest on it or help me with it. Or next thing you know, I'm a co-host on it and he keeps, cause he keeps inviting me back. But um, <laughs> what, 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 what intrigued me the most about his, his show, what we do there um, is that we, we reach out to more of just the average consumer. Um, cause I find, I mean, what now for those of you that have never been there, um, this it's, it's a Irish pub in Woodland, California. Um, in one of the uh, neighboring cities in Sacramento, um, he's it's it's in an old bank building, and um, he the the actual original bank vault is there with the giant vault doors and everything, um, and he's turned that room into a whiskey vault, and so he he has in there a very nice collection of whiskeys, um, Scotch, Irish, American, rye, um some Japanese I'm trying to get him on the Japanese stuff, but anyhow. Um, and he does a lot of education in there himself. So my point being is, as every time I'm there, I, I'm, I'm always seeing somebody in there, a consumer, they love whiskey. They drink it. They eat, you know, I drink Jack and Coke. I drink Jameson. I drink crown, but they're there to explore. And they, they don't even know what whiskey is. Um, they don't, they, they, they just, they know their go-tos. They order all the time, but they're actually willing to explore. I was at BevMo last week, uh, just checking out bottle selections and, and some guy was there and, um, he says, man, he goes, there's so many. I said, oh, if you need any help with anything, I mean, I can give you my two cents for what it's worth. And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, man, I really wish there was some sort of club or something. Cause, um, I, I know what I like, which is this, but I don't know anything about anything else. And, and, and. So it surprises me how many people, um, I don't want to say they're ignorant, but they, they just, they know what they like. They order it every time they drink it, but they don't dive into it. And or maybe they're not as, um, they're, they're curious about it for sure, but they just don't know. And there's no outlet for them to, to find answers to their questions besides what's good, what's not. Oh, this is smooth. Um, so what does that mean? Right, Drew? So, right, Drew. Right, Drew? I mean, what is smooth? Like, come on now. Like, oh, this is smooth. Okay, well, that doesn't help me. So um, you, say, you say smooth one more time and I'm muting your mic. <laughs> okay, that's it. So, <laughs> so, <what's, laughs> so what I what I enjoy what we do there is um is we 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 try and find approachable some we started out with approachable whiskeys so that people can taste at home with us and explore whiskeys at the same time and talk about them. And then we give them cocktail ideas, and then of course you start running out of easily available whiskeys. So we start to, to theme them. And so it's really just, we, we taste three different whiskeys and they're usually, um, some theme with whether it's Scotch, Irish, American, Kentucky straight, rye, whatever the theme may be. Um, and, uh, we just taste through it, give our opinions on it and what we, what we taste and come up with cocktail ideas, tell a couple stupid dad jokes. Um, and we, I mean, we have fun with it when I'll, our viewership, hopefully they have fun with it too. I think they do. Um, they can interact with us. It's all on Facebook live. Um, so that's, that's what we do. And for me, it's, it's an, it's a way to sometimes forget about things and just enjoy whiskey, have a good time and laugh and help people understand whiskey and answer some questions, um, that we may 
for you know the three of us may seem pretty remedial, but uh, people just may not know what mash bill is or or what grains go in whiskey. So, um, so it makes it fun for me. That can help yeah, other I people think, explore the world of whiskey. Totally, I, I think you do a great job of that. And you know, I mentioned it on the show a couple of weeks ago. Is you know, I caught some early episodes, and then you know, occasionally will tune in and just kind of see what you guys are talking about. And it's not, you know, it's definitely not designed for somebody like me um, because it's just there's I've I've done a lot of those things, and it's it's my job to know a lot of those things. But right. I think you guys do make it approachable. And you know, the one thing that we've talked about again on the show before is that you know, bars and restaurants like those are those are ego driven venues. And when you have people going in, like they want to order things that they're familiar with. They don't want to sound stupid. They don't want to order something that maybe they'll, you know, not enjoy. So that's why they go to those callbacks. And, and if you're in a busy bar, it's hard to educate those people, right? Because, you know, you got seven more people that you got to go take care of. And, it's hard to give them that one-on-one focus. So what do they do? They just, they go with the hits. That's what they, that's what they go with. And they don't ever get out of that. So to take an opportunity and kind of be like, listen, we don't need to go from zero to 60 and three seconds flat. Like, let's just do this. Let's do this incremental, you know, growth and let's make this very approachable because, you know, I, I think that is something that gets left behind, um, you know, bridging that gap. I mean, the events that I do, they tend to be a little bit of a, you know, depending on which one it is, like can be higher brow. Like if you're looking at some of the things I'm pouring, like it's not going to mean a whole lot to your average Joe, but like a real enthusiast are going to be like, wow, that's awesome. And I've tried to change my mindset towards that where my flights now have things kind of for everybody, you know, where it's like, yeah, you know, maybe you've had this one before, but you definitely haven't had this one. So it's worth having this one just so you can get to that one. And then for people who are brand new to it, be like, hey, this is probably going to appeal to your palate because it's a little bit more approachable than something that's a little bit crazier. So I, I really like your guys' approach. I think in you know the rapport between you and Pat is also a lot of fun. And, and Pat's a great guy, and it's, his whiskey vault is super cool. I, I love going there because he's, he's one of those people that – you know, I always walk out learning more, you know, and um, I think that's something that I'm trying to really put an emphasis on for my for myself is, you know, I, I don't consider myself an expert in anything, and but I, I consider myself an, an eternal student of this stuff. I, I always want to be learning, you know, and that's really what the title that I want to carry as I go through this industry. And even doing some of those basics, it kind of reminds you like, oh, yeah, that's, that is what that means and this because, you know, God, man, there's so much to know. And It's know. been fun for me too to just revisit some things that, oh, yeah, I've had – this you know scotch whatever a million times but then it's been years since i mean that our last show we did uh blended scotch and it may sound pretty boring but we tasted um the johnny walker black we tasted um the famous grouse and then we tasted cuddy sark uh the prohibition Ooh, edition cutty. the old yeah. cuddy sark. Well, we did the prohibition edition but uh oh, but just man, to, that's great but just to yeah just to revisit some of those and just to learn the you know the brand history and where they came from and um and what blended scotch even is, um, just to kind of go through that and then taste them. I mean, I mean, I remember growing up, my mom's drink was Johnny Walker Black on the Rocks. My dad was VO Splash of Soda. I mean, it's just, just embedded in my head always. And uh, to go back and now drink Johnny Walker on the Rocks like my mom drank it now that I'm, you know, can appreciate 
whiskeys a little more. I'm like, okay, now I, now I can say my mom still drinks Johnny Walker Black on the rocks. So kudos to mom. But uh, but but there's some of these things that you know that that, um, that are just sometimes forgotten. I mean, like, yeah, Jack is great. Um, Jack and Coke is great, but you know. Um, some of these old brands that you just kind of sit on and you're like, okay, well, for me, it's been fun to explore. I mean, and, and like Drew said too, exploring things outside of my own portfolio. I mean, I know Drew, um, talks a lot of uh, good stuff about other brands too. And I think, you know, like you've said in past episodes, it just, um, I'm not looking to, to get, you know, respect and, and, you know, get kudos or integrity kind of a thing. It's just me personally, yeah, I mean, if I want to talk about whiskey, if someone says, yeah, I really like Crown Royal, and yeah, I don't represent Crown Royal, but I should at least know what it tastes like so I can, you know, uh, you know, and I appreciate it. It is what it is. Um, there's, you know, it's Canadian whiskey. There you go. <laughs> I like you started off with like, yeah, I respect yeah, it. Yeah, I respect it, but uh, yeah, ah, you can Canadian. Drink, you can you can drink your Canadian whiskey. <laughs> That's so great. You can okay, oh. maybe, Jameson. You can drink your Jameson. There you go. Oh my god, we're all, we're all a bunch of jaded fucks. That's pretty yeah, good. We are. Yeah. That's the way I say it too, you know, and I've said it to uh, shop owners, um, bar managers, you, not necessarily what you like, but you have to think about your business too. I mean, like, like going back to your wine, Chris, I mean, you enjoy it very much so, but you also have to think about your profitability, your revenue and your, your business. So, um, I mean, gosh, a real quick story too. I mean, I was at Luca and for the longest time. We never had, uh, we never had Patron. And all my bartenders started bugging me. We need Patron. We need Patron. And I said, all right, I'll bring Patron in. But at the time, this is what, 17, almost 20 years ago. I said, sure, I'll bring Patron in, but I'm charging $10 a shot. And uh, which now is pretty much norm, but back then it was expensive. And then margarita is like $15 and I would make profit off of it. And that's fine. And I was still buying a six pack a week. So, I mean, was it my favorite tequila? No, I think there's other things that are, good at that price range does it make me a lot of money heck yeah so i'll bring it in and you know that's that you can drink your patron you can drink your crown royal there you go yeah and not <laughs> not, not to speak ill of patron which i not at all I, I could do easily but um uh my my bar yoda taught me that that was called the the stupid tax like you you charged more for the things that it, that uh, i mean apart from just your 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 average cost of goods but you charge more for the things that people were willing to pay for so that way even whether or not you like them just because you know people would people would hit that ceiling no problem right it's simple because economy it, it paid for all the other things that you want to serve them that you can then charge less for right one of my economics teachers in college said, you know why they charge that much for it is because they can and you'll pay Work. for it. Yep. <laughs> That's well, that. exactly. yeah, yeah. And kind of going, kind of go back to the old phrase. It's like, you know, vodka pays the bills and there's a lot of, a lot of people are like, Oh, vodka doesn't taste like anything. It doesn't do that. You know, it's just kind of like, yeah, but it's, it pays the bills. So you need to have, is, it definitely does not pay my bills. As much as I w- – and I even have some dope vodka that I wish people would buy. And people do not come to my store to buy vodka. And uh, I'm a little I'm a little bummed about that. But see, I as wish a somebody business would come owner, talk to me about vodka. Right. But as a business owner, you have to be responsive to that. 
That's right. Right. Yeah. So yeah. again, just I mean, you, you, I, trust me, there's some vodkas that I actually enjoy as well. Um, but it, it's you know, you have to be responsive as a business owner. So yeah. Oh, there you go. There you go. Well, B, I uh, you you've been one of my uh, my favorite people in the industry in this in this market since I moved to town. And the fact that you're sitting here on our podcast makes me so happy. Oh, I'm honored you, to be on it. You have personally taught me a lot, and you and I have had many spirited conversations over the years, and you've never held back. And uh, and I love you for it, man. So uh, I, I love the fact that you're you're here and you're a guest on on our podcast. I appreciate you having me. And yeah, it's 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 been fun watching you when you first moved in too and grow and uh, what you've done with Sacramento as a town too, and you've embraced it as well with you know what you did with the BG and now being a business owner yourself. That's fantastic. That's great. Thanks, homie. And Drew, you're pretty cool too. I was about to say, I was like, I was like, I don't have nearly the level of mushiness, but I do think you're a pretty neat guy. So um, uh, here's here's a funny story. Uh, my uh-oh. very first time, my very first time meeting Drew, um, he was sitting at a bar. Uh, um, it, we know it, but but other people might not know it. It's Blue Q, and um, I I had gone upstairs for. I think I had just clocked off work or something like that. And I went upstairs to get like uh, uh, chicken wings or something to eat late night. And um, it, uh, for the people who don't know, it's, it's a really like crappy pool hall. Like there, there's like three tables, four tables, maybe um, uh, a lot of really like super corporate alcohol, <laughs> um, like nothing super spectacular about anything about the place. But it was like, it was a good hangout. So it was fine. And it was, it was on the corner of where I worked. And so, uh, people knew, you know, everybody on that block knew each other. So I, I go upstairs and I order my wings and, uh, I think Darmstandler, uh, was, was bartending at that point in time when I walked in. Do, do you remember this Drew? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He oh, definitely okay. was. Okay. And, uh, I, I, and, uh, I sit down I don't fuck if I know what I, I probably had some like awful cider because it was like the only thing that I could drink if I wasn't drinking hard alcohol there. And, uh, and you were like, Oh, you're, you're Chris Sinclair. I've definitely heard about you. And, uh, and I, rem- I don't remember what I said. Do you remember what I said in response to that? Did I say something along the lines of like, Oh, it's all true or fucking some ego driven bullshit that I, uh, it was I like just, a com- it was a combination of like, it's all true. And then you're also, and then something to the degree of like, you're going to be very disappointed with the reality, you know, something that, like that. that. See, and all that, all that sounds accurate. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Drew and I have been friends ever since. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been a, it's been a fun relationship based off a lot of hype and little execution. So I don't I don't know if everybody else could hear the uh, the air quotes in fun, but I definitely heard them. <laughs> um, all right, all right. I'm gonna okay. Mine will be quick. Um, go on Instagram, follow uh, Liquor Industry. It's just straight up spelled that way. It's a hilarious uh, industry driven like meme generator. For example, they did a giveaway today. Are they like here's here's your prizes a cracked uh, fruit tray and a chalkboard of a discontinued brand. Those are gifts. <laughs> from, uh, so 
it's it's a lot of humor like that and it's super super funny so it's called again it's called liquor industry and it's on instagram so check that out all right brian what's your follow man i uh you know that that was on my top list there that that guy's hilarious um from what i know that the person who's behind that was a furloughed uh employee in, in california from what i hear down in southern california um but that's just rumor so i can't verify that to be true but uh, it is that is a great follow. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb because lately it's been dad duties for me. And I know both of you have youngins. So uh, if you want to go onto YouTube and subscribe to Super Simple Songs, oh. your kids will absolutely love it. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. There's the Sesame Street. There's the blues. The new Blues Clues, by the way. There's a new guy. He's a uh, Filipino-American. So it's nice to see an a, a Asian person uh, on that role. Josh, he's great. But um, super simple songs. They got the counting. They've got the, the alphabet that my kid just repeats the same ones over and over again. And uh, it's to the point where, like, obviously, as parents, you start memorizing these songs. So if I'm in, like, in line... Um, at the grocery store or something and he's starting to get a little antsy you just start singing your one two three song and he just joins right in and it calms him down so uh for for the two of you obviously parents uh of kids and, and newborns and those listeners that are out there uh super simple songs it's great and you can ask alexa too hey alexa play super simple songs and it'll pop up and the, the, the songs are on there too it's great that's awesome that's amazing. I'm definitely going to do that. Yeah. Not industry related, but uh, life related, dad related. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, mine's not industry related either. And it is history. Cool kids. Uh, it, it goes, it, it's uh, on Instagram. Thank you for asking. Yeah. History. Cool kids. And every day it has this, you know, one or two posts that are, just super fascinating stories that happen throughout history. Um, stuff that is either relevant to today or just really fun. Um, and, and I've been I've been enjoying following that quite a bit. The more you know. That's awesome. Oh, the more you know, man. I, I uh, okay. Not, never mind. We won't get into that story. Yeah, easier well, to I'll, 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 I'll tell you offline, buddy. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, uh, everybody, thank you for listening to our long rant tonight. Uh, make sure you go out there and give us the, the five star rating and share it with your friends. Um, Brian, you got any parting words for the listeners? Uh, no. Thanks, guys, for having me on. It's it's always a pleasure listening to guys, and of course, seeing you cool. guys in person when I go by the shop or running into Drew. Um, but. Uh, no, keep up the great work on the podcast. Listeners, keep listening. Right on, man. Definitely. Be good to each other. Y'all have a great night. Cheers. 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 It's been a wonderful talk to you guys. All right. See ya. The Good Bottle Podcast is a product of Fluid Concepts. Episodes are produced, edited, and uploaded by Christopher Sinclair. The music comes to us by two very talented brothers, Leon and Chase Moore. Interact and follow us on social media at The Good Bottle Podcast.